0: Don't care if you're speaking to five people or 25 people or 25,000 people, but get people together and share with them what you've accomplished and what you've learned. What we say is put on your oxygen mask first and then go out there and reach other people with your superpowers. It's like take care of yourself first and then help another person take care of themselves. And they will then help you be able to get your message out to spread to more people.
1: Welcome to Juice Guru Radio for Entrepreneurs. Fire Start Your Own Health Movement. And now, your host, founder of Juice Guru Institute and best selling author, Steve Prusak. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Steve Prusak. It's great to be with you. I'm so excited. We got Dr. Joel Furman, MD, board certified family physician and nutritional researcher who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods president of the Nutritional Research Foundation and author of seven New York Times bestsellers, including some of my favorites, Eat for Life, Eat to Live, The End of Diabetes, The End of Dieting, The End of Heart Disease, Super Immunity, and the Eat to Live Cookbook, all of them available on his website. We'll give you the link under the show notes. Uh, he's the fire starter of the nutritarian movement, and he's ready to share the keys to his massive success today. Let's welcome to the show right now, Dr.
0: Joel Furman. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here as always, and to speak to you.
1: Thank you for being here. And wow, what a an incredible amount of work you've done! If we just, you know, put put everything on pause right now and look at what you've created since you
0: dove in, it's pretty astounding. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I think that when I started out with this decision, you know, back in the um, early '80s to go back to medical school and to pursue a career in nutritional in nutritional medicine and natural medicine, actually, Um, I always thought I'd get a lot of personal satisfaction and personal reward from seeing people get well and help aiding them to make recoveries from serious illnesses. I knew it would be tremendously satisfying, but of course, never did I expect to have had the opportunities I've had that I'm very grateful for, to have been able to reach so many millions of people and to have, you know, my television shows, been showed around the country and been into that, you know, in millions of people's homes and just have sold millions of books. So I, I guess I'm grateful for the opportunities I've had and, and the, um, and, the and the feeling that all the extra time and spending late nights and the work and the effort really was worth it because I've um, affected a lot of people for the better and left a mark on humanity to help people, Um, have the opportunity to improve their health and prevent serious illnesses and medical tragedy and health tragedies in their lives. So I, I am, I do feel good about that. I feel I've accomplished, um, you know, more than what I had intended to accomplish. So obviously it's, that's a good feeling.
1: Well, taking us back, I mean, you've always been successful, pretty much everything you did. I mean, I know your story. I don't know that our listeners know the the ins and outs, but taking us back, you were an athlete to begin with, right?
0: Yes. As I was, as I was a teenager and I was a um, competitive figure skater. I competed in both singles and in pair skating with my younger sister. And as a pair team, we were ranked number two in the country in 1973. And then the number one team ahead of us had retired. It was a close event in 73 when we came in second. I think out of the nine judges, they won by five and we won by four. And so we were close to the top of the country about 19. 19- then I I got hurt, and was on crutches. And I kind of lost my opportunity to be in the Olympics in 76, even though I was back on the ice again. I, I was, because I was on crutches for so long, we only came in fourth in the national championships that in the top three went to the Olympics that year. And then I, then I, then I got a little better shape and continued to get a little better. And then I came in third in the world championships, in the world professional championships in hockey Spain in 1976. And I think at that point, um, I think after that, soon after that, I retired from competitive figure skating and started to um, work in my in my family's business more.
1: Was it that injury that kind of triggered your own healing, or you know, going down this path back then?
0: You know, maybe and maybe not. I mean, you know, I I was into health and nutrition before I got hurt, and my father was overweight and sickly, and he brought a lot of um, Doctor Herbert Shelton's books. The natural hygiene um, works into the house, which I had read all this, you know, hygienic reviews. He wrote a lot of books. I think he, I always say, how did one guy write so many books? This is like amazing. He's wrote like like seven or eight books, it, you know, take, you know, writing a book seemed like an overwhelming, um, and it probably in those days was overwhelming amount of work to write a book more than it is today because today we have word processors and word, you know, Microsoft Word and you know you write something you can just delete it and paste and cut and and put something in there when I remember when I was writing back in the before we had word processing you had to like use white out and cut and paste the Scotch tape and a scissor and erase things and type it all over again with a regular typewriter. It was like really um, um, onerous, you know, to, to write a book. But anyway, so I can imagine in those days how much work it's entailed. Um, nevertheless, um, I guess so. The, uh, you know, I was into nutrition before my injury, and then the time where I was injured and I couldn't walk for about a year, and I had spent time at Dr. Shelton's Health School in Texas. Um, you know that I'm, I'm not sure if my own personal injury and my own personal experience would have changed things, but you know that's my life, and it's what happened. I, you know, I they all, when I was down in Texas fasting in nineteen in the, in the nineteen around 1974, I guess. I think I, I think that they almost fasted me to death. I almost lived there. I almost leave there not alive. That's how long they fasted me. And I was at like 19 or 20 years old. I didn't know any better. I was just thinking maybe this could help me walk again from the injury. And I think at that point, um, fasting that long, I didn't have enough you know, conservative and knowledge to know there were risks involved and how there's a limit. You know, so I, and so in other words, I was um, trusting them to give me the right care and they fasted me so long that it did did make me emaciated and weakened for for a long time. So that probably was a major factor why I couldn't perform at my former level of competency in the ice skating world, you know, after that long, long fast.
1: Wow. So they just kind of pushed you to the limit during that fast.
0: Yes. I fasted probably to the right to the point where if I fasted a little longer, I would have been dead. Wow. So
1: that's horrifying. So when, once you got out of medical school and you decided, you know, obviously you had the entrepreneurial bug in a way, you wanted to start your own practice. Is that how it went from there? Yes,
0: I knew I had to start my own practice and not, you know, because I wanted to do things, you know, be from my background, my knowledge base and my studies and my interests. I, of course, wanted to be a um, focus on nutritional excellence and, and occupy that niche where people would come to me who want the very best way to get healthy again and get well and not water down the message um, to make, because I know that the, you know, I always knew in Wade, you know, you could go after more popularity and more money by watering down the message and making it more acceptable to more people. But I wanted to occupy that niche where it would be um, the ideal, you know, um, because the ideal diet style and food portfolio to, to slow longevity is also going to be most effective therapeutically to reverse disease and to help people recover. So I wanted to, occupy that niche and to to speak to people who were desperate to get better and willing to do whatever it took nutritionally to get better, not to convince a person to give up pizza and bacon and cheeseburgers, but to say, you know, but I like that person who says to me, you know, I'd eat sawdust if you can get me better for my rheumatoid arthritis. And then, of course, my experience and knowledge and expertise um, started to morph into being able to make the healthiest foods in the world taste great with great recipes and being able to expand my ideal way of eating to encompass people that would want to have great flavor, great taste, not feel they're losing anything as far as enjoyment of eating. You know, I think that coming from the, the natural hygiene movement where the people are eating pretty healthfully, but they just ate like plain salad, with, you know, on plain fresh fruit as a, as, a, as a meal or a plain, you know, like very bare, no recipes, nothing fancy. And it was like, it was too onerous for people to expect to live that way. So I managed to, you know, not only fix all the myths and the mistakes in that way of thinking and eating, but all, and to, to tweak it to really make it the pinnacle of scientific excellence and nutritional excellence but also to develop and tweak it so people could really enjoy this way of eating and feel it's something they can stay with a little for the rest of their life to get maximum health advantage from it.
1: What were some of those obstacles at the beginning? I mean, here you are coming with this message where obviously it wasn't in the mainstream and exciting to see how it grew with best-selling books and getting on PBS with your message. But what were some of those struggles to begin with when you started to really get this off the ground?
0: You know, the struggles to be good, good with had to do with how you pay for medical care and how insurance companies pay for doctors' visits. Like in those days, I would accept, you know, because you're starting out of practice, you want to accept insurances, you want to accept Medicare, you want to accept, you know, HMOs like Oxford U.S. Healthcare. You know, you want to accept all the um, all the insurances that so people have you on their list as a as a preferred provider. They would come in because you're starting a practice on your own. You don't have people just come in. You're not going to have a lot of patients coming in, especially the type of practice that I was doing. So I did accept a lot of people accept. So like a person would find out, oh yeah, I can see Dr. Furman with US healthcare. They come in and pay their $20 health, um, their $20 copay. And if that person stayed in your panel, when they stayed with you as their primary doctor, you'd make an extra maybe $10 a month from them if they stayed with you, but they didn't because they came to me from Philadelphia, from far distances. They drove three hours away. They switched over to make me their primary care doctor. They paid the $20 copay. They went back home and they switched out of my panel. So I didn't continue to be paid from them. Their old local doctor did now. So I only made the 20 bucks for spending an hour with them, which didn't cover my staff overhead. So for many years in my medical practice, I broke, I did not make, I broke even or did worse than breaking even, you know what I mean? So for a lot of years, I was very, I was struggling to make it work. I was certainly rewarded in helping people, but it's very difficult to make it financially um, successful. I was working probably an 80 hour week because if I worked a, you know, a 40 to a 60 hour week, I wouldn't just maybe, I'd lose money on a 40 hour week, break even on a 60 hour week, and maybe to make an 80 hour week, maybe make a little income. So I really, so it was like working two jobs. For most of my first decade of my medical practice, I think that was the difficulty. Um, And then, of course, I used to. And then I went home and I'd start, you know, writing a book. My first book was called "Fasting and Eating for Health." I I love that one. (laughs) Oh, you read that one? I think that was in 1996, maybe or before that. I don't even know. But you know, of course, writing a book while you're still working an 80-hour week means I was writing between like eight and after you put the kids to bed you know, writing between, you know, nine and one o'clock in the morning and then, you know what I mean? So it's like I kind of had a, and I felt I had to do that because I had to, um, because the people, you know, when I was advising something so contrary to the conventional medical thought at the time and people seeing me as being, you know, a quack or, you know, this is a fa you know, whatever they're calling me or whatever they're thinking about me, I knew the answer to that was to write a book so that people, because there were so many people saying that, you know, making believe or, or, or judging me improperly with what you stand or think or what your beliefs are. So I figured you write a book and people know exactly where you stand, know what your practice is about, know what your science that, 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 um, that defines your decision making. And through the years, I felt book writing was the most effective way that you can actually see the scientific references to make it impossible for people to really disagree. And I always say, don't believe people for what they say based on who they are. Don't believe it because Dr. Furman says it. Look if the evidence I'm, preventing, I'm presenting is overwhelming. Look if the evidence is logical, makes sense, and my judgment after reviewing the content of all the studies that are available is, is correct and makes the most sense. And I think that that's where um, and I think that contributed to my success because really most people, there's so many different viewpoints and opinions out there. And I think people have a, a big um, audience of individuals have learned to trust my advice because they see how careful I am at looking at all the, the big picture, all the evidence and looking in depth at all the studies on both sides of the issues and making sure the, the weight is given appropriately to the most studies that have more credence in the, and the thing, the things that we apply that are going to be absolutely either um, solid science, or most likely, when the science is not there, it's going to be the most logical um, avenue to pursue to get great results because of the logic involved in the in interpreting that science. And and of course, my experience. I have a tremendous amount of experience in working with very very sick people with tens of thousands of cases of in-sick individuals that came in that have seen me from from those days over the last three decades.
1: Right. So you had that anecdotal evidence. You had those case studies, too, to bring to the table right out the gate.
0: That's right. I had the case studies, the vast experience working with lots of sick people with a vast degree of, you know, of all types of different illnesses, from myasthenia gravis to, you know, we're talking about you know, to, you know, f- essential thrombocytopenia to, you know, multiple sclerosis, not just the basic things that people see like diabetes and heart disease and strokes and, and cancers, but also a lot of unusual autoimmune diseases. And people sought me out with, you know, with all different types of problems that was, and being a board certified family physician gave me an added insight and ability to care for people of all ages with all different diseases. So what was
1: the plan at that point, once you were working on the book and all that to build this empire? I mean, we can call it an empire because it's phenomenal. Uh, was that in the plan or the vision at that point? Or where were you going to step out as, uh, as a celebrity, as a leader and someone really making a huge difference, not just in New
0: Jersey, but all over the world? No, I had absolutely no intention of having any um, plans like that. I just wanted to do a good job and help people and help my patients recover. That was it. Um, And certainly I wanted to, you know, write a book and influence people to recognize that they have, they can control their health destiny and they don't have to be sick and share my wonderful results with people making recoveries from rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, psoriasis, you know, um, ulcerative colitis. I wanted to be able to, People, young children, young teenagers who were on the rational renal transplant list with kidney failure, getting normal again, getting back their kidneys back functioning with lupus and and autoimmune nephropathies and and all types of unusual autoimmune diseases, mixed connective tissue disease. I had such a vast degree of experience caring for people with medical conditions that I wanted to be able to share that and have people avail themselves with the knowledge so they can get well and not be sick for the rest of their life. It never had to do with making having an empire. It had to do with my passion for helping people have the right type of informed consent so they could potentially reverse their diseases to let people know that they don't have to stay sick the rest of their life. That's the only thing that was driving me and always has driven me
1: with all this work you've done, what would you say to date is your
0: greatest achievement? What are you most proud of at this point? I think, I, I think that, that is my greatest achievement. I think my greatest achievement, you know, I, I filmed my PBS, I'll give you, I know mean, I'm not answering the question directly, I'm going back to the, but I, I just filmed my latest PBS show in November of, two, of 2019 and now it's um, 2020, it was shown in March. And in the audience, was about 500 people who came from all over the country. And those people who flew in for the filming of that show were people who lost 100 pounds, lost 200 pounds, got well from testicular cancer, reversed their lymphoma, improved, got well from multiple sclerosis and lupus, have their, so we had people who lost weight. So it was seeing with, seeing and being there with hundreds of people who recovered their health who I never even met before who just read my books or learned through me through the TV or through the internet and followed my portfolios. And they represent a small tip of the the iceberg of the many thousands who've recovered their health around the country as a result of following my dietary protocols for various diseases. And I think that's my greatest achievement when I stood in front of that audience and they gave me a standing ovation. And I'm looking at those people and a lot of them I got to know and became friends with, you know, and and I know can name a lot of people's names. And, and I know that they wouldn't, And I know that the gratitude they have for having learned this information through me and the personal satisfaction. And like you're saying, my greatest achievement is touching these people's lives. Because when you have a person who, a lot of these people could, would have been dead by now. And a lot of people's lives were saved and a lot of people who presented there were had, you know, told they were gonna be dead shortly of heart failure and all types of incredibly dangerous cardiovascular conditions. Some people were shocked back from death and given very little chance to even leave the hospital alive. And so we're talking about all these people who reversed their renal their kidney failure their you know kidney insufficiency, got rid of their autoimmune conditions, reversed their heart disease, got well from type two diabetes, or given their life back with type one diabetes, because have even people who would type one diabetes with highs and lows and overusing insulin until they ate right and got rid of their insulin resistance from being a type, having type two mixed with type one because they're insulin resistant type ones now having to use a lot of insulin was destroying their lives. And so they're, what I'm saying right now is my, when people ask me for that question, I think that's always, I'm thinking of all these people that I've helped and how proud I am of that.
1: Yes. Well, let's talk about the nutritarian diet. And so, what makes that unique? How did you come? How did it come about? Did it come about in practice? Or let's talk a little more about that.
0: You know, I was advising people to eat a certain diet, but as I'm formulating the concept to put it into a book form and really putting together the science, it was able to crystallize the explanation of what it is that I'm actually doing to make it more explainable for people. This concept of, you know, the most proven methodology to slow aging and extend lifespan is moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence that's the first principle of the nutritarian diet represented by the equation h equals n over c which means your healthy life expectancy is proportional to the micronutrient bang per caloric buck of your diet all through life not only the amount of micronutrients you consume but the full variety and breadth and you know of that micronutrient exposure while overeating calories is And especially calories that do not contain nutrients is going to accelerate our aging and create chronic disease. And, you know, so I'm going to say that one more time. There's a few, six or seven words, and repeat again. And that is so people maybe want to write it down moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence. That's the primary and overwhelming principle between a nutritarian diet. The word nutritarian just means nutritionally rich and designed to be the healthiest diet you can eat, you know, a real diet that's going to make manifest, enable people to manifest superior health. And then, and accordingly, you know, I've over the years developed further, um, refined that principle, you know, to include, um, the at, the micronutrient adequacy of not being lo- low in anything the body may need, having the full comprehensive exposure to all the nutrients humans need, and to avoid toxic substances, and to, you know, and and also of course, um, to be hormonally favorable to make sure your hormone and your and and of course to be weight favorable to you know and um, and I also teaching that micronutrient adequacy also helps you control uh, your ravenous. Appetite or calorie-consuming monster, and the people that don't consume enough nutrients and don't eat healthfully have trouble contr- be not getting rid of food addictions and get rid of over their overeating behavior and their emotional overeating and their biological overeating. So, of course, we're saying is it's so hard for people to to stay on a on a style of eating that's going to keep them healthy and slim and free of disease for the rest of their life. It's almost impossible for people to achieve and enjoy compliance with such healthy eating in, when they're not eating healthfully because you get physical symptoms that drive you to overconsume calories when you don't eat healthfully.
1: What have you seen as some of the benefits of the nutritarian diet? Because, I mean, you talk about disease prevention, uh, the end of dieting, things like that, superimmunity.
0: Does this tie
1: into everything?
0: It ties into everything. But today's world with the COVID-19 crisis I mean if there was ever a time when you would, you know, I'm trying to convince people not to get cancer. Let's we can win the war on cancer right now with this nutritarian diet style designed with the full portfolio of anti-cancer foods with foods and those proven anti-cancer benefits and saying why not not have a heart attack and not have a stroke and not get cancer. But people don't look that far into the future very often. They're looking to the, to the now. And because they're feeling okay right now, and they're still enjoying eating poorly, they're not going to think about improving their diet until they get to that life-threatening condition. In many cases, but now we're in, and now everybody who eats poorly is in a life-threatening condition. Could be in a life-threatening situation with COVID nineteen. So instead of so the same portf- dietary portfolio that was going to prevent you from getting breast cancer is going to keep you alive and not suffering a hospitalization when you get exposed to the COVID-19 virus. So now more than ever before, how could you possibly not follow a nutritarian diet because everything else is, is not as good and not gonna be as protective? You know, so it's like, what I'm saying right now is that I think that the time is ripe for people to realize we can take charge of our health destiny and do it now before you get in trouble or perhaps lose your life over this.
1: Because there's a lot of mixed messages in the media. I know Canada put some statement out, the health board there, that building your immunity won't help you with the coronavirus and things. What do you think of things like that when there are messages coming out from some government saying, don't worry, you can eat what you want because it's not going to help you anyway. What do you think of that? Well,
0: you know, all through my career, um, I've had I've had a unique way of presenting the science Interpreting it and and examining that science in in detail to see the type of, you know, so I think that it's consistent that you can't expect governments, the conventional medical uh, um, authorities who are always, or conventional television um, programs really, because don't forget all these authorities, authoritative people are being governed by bodies that are being um, affected by the pharmaceutical industry. The, and the food industry and this, you know, the economic power of billions and billions of billions of dollars that go against people taking control of their health and thinking that they don't, you know, and with this idea of like removing the fast food, the oils, the sweets, the honey, the sodas, the sugars, the meats, the, you know, and, and, ma- and, and making a diet of plant foods that you grow yourself or you grow organically and make you think it tastes great. I mean, I recognize that the authorities are not going to come out supporting the nutritarian diet they don't have to. Because if you follow the way, other, if you do what other people do, you're going to get what other people get. Look what they're getting. They're getting a nation with a, with a cancer epidemic, with the most overweight population in the history of the human race, where a person dies of a heart attack every 30 seconds across this country. And now people are dying like flies of a simple coronavirus that because their immune systems are so weakened. And they're saying that we can't eat to prevent cancer. We can't eat to prevent heart attacks. Drugs are the answer. And you can't eat to save your life against the coronavirus. That's sub- That using food and the conservative use of supplements and whatever you want is not going to have an effect. That's just a- absolute ridiculousness. And the reason they can say that is because they look at you know, these isolated studies that people who make one small change or make or take one supplement, they don't really look, they're not studying people who are following my nutritarian approach, which is so profound and deep in the way it supplies the body with such a comprehensive array of nutrients that work synergistically with each other to maximize human immune function and protection. So why would we expect them to see that or to respect that if they've never studied it or looked at it?
1: What other thoughts do you have on coronavirus? Like how worried do you think people should be?
0: I think they should start immediately following my plan for super immunity and then they don't have to worry at all. What I'm saying right now is I think a healthy person they needn't fear coronavirus. I think they should be worried yes, yeah, super lot if they're overweight and eating like other people eat, they should really be worried because being overweight increases your risk of death from infection by by 700%. You know, we're talking here. So yeah, if you're and 89% of Americans have a BMI above 23, The only reason that the authorities tell you 75% are overweight, not 89%, is because they use a BMI of 25 as the demarcation line between a normal weight. And so even the people that are normal weight, of course, um, are usually a normal weight because they're alcoholics or cigarette smokers, or they have some other disease keeping them thin. It's only 2.4% of Americans that have a normal weight because they eat healthfully, relatively healthfully, and exercise regularly. So it's only 2.4% of Americans that we should expect to be safe from the coronavirus, and that could occur at any age. But of course, eating healthfully and maintaining a favorable weight is essential for your life right now. But I'm also saying that if you're 100 pounds overweight or 50 pounds overweight or 30 pounds overweight, even though you're at increased risk, if you're following this program and dropping two to three pounds a week was what usually happens, then immediately, within a few weeks, your risk of your immune system will have a tremendous boost in ability to respond appropriately to prevent viral replication and invasion and to reduce cytokine storm that creates excessive inflammation in response to viral replication. So what I'm saying right now is the the G-bombs, the greens, the beans, the onions, the mushrooms, the berries, the seeds, all these foods with all these nutrients we're talking about work to establish a normal and heightened immune response to prevent bioreplication, but they also prevent the body overreacting because it's fat cells that predominantly um, exude and spew out cytokines that inflame the body's response to viruses. But what I'm saying is that as the person is losing weight, we're seeing tremendous improvement in immune function, even while they're still overweight. So a nutritarian is either at an ideal weight or they're overweight yet moving towards their ideal weight, losing at least a pound every three days as they cultivate and practice this way of nutritional excellence.
1: So superimmunity is a great one to start with, especially in this day and age, what's happening right now. Yes, but I think
0: my book Eat for Life too, because it's the the newest and most updated. is also very appropriate to people to get all those medical references with the most updated ones because superimmunity was written a few years ago. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I'm, I guess it's proud of the fact in superimmunity, I talked about this, like I didn't mention COVID-19, but I talked about how viruses can take more pathogenic forms, can cause damage, can cause excessive inflammation, can cause, I, I talked about all how, a, a, how individual nutrient deficiencies or broad spectrum phytonutrient deficiencies, lead to serious effects of an ability of infections to create um, problems and even death and paralysis and dangers when you have a nutritionally insufficient host. So the superimmunity book talked about that. years When I wrote it three or four years ago, it talked about it back then and gave the reasons why people were putting themselves at risk of infection. And of course, you know, and then using supplements appropriately with a little extra zinc, if you're on a plant-based diet or a little extra, you know, the DHA, the zinc, the B12, the vitamin D. making sure you have adequate iodine, all these um, accessory nutrients to make sure you're achieving right at the level of optimal and not too much and too little, not using, taking synthetic folic acid, not taking in synthetic vitamin E or beta carotene, but using the real food there, getting your folate, carotenoids and phytonutrients from real food and only using supplements very conservatively to fill in some gaps where the diet might be suboptimal. So I think this full design of a nutritarian diet comprehensively assures nutritional adequacy and leaves no person, doesn't leave some people that's in trouble because of it in sufficient attention to the details.
1: Well, another incredible achievement is the eat to live retreat. How did we'll talk about what goes on there? Cause I've been lucky to see, but what led to that idea to you know, create a retreat? And how did that all come about? You no, know, it's
0: funny because I've been talking about this and planning this for like 20 years. You know, even though it only came out, came about a few years ago, I've always wanted to do something like this. It just was unaffordable. And the reason I always wanted to do something is because through my medical career, I've seen so many people who could have gotten well and would have gotten well if I gave them a little more professional help that I couldn't do in the outpatient setting. They really needed a place where I could house them to, be, to assure compliance so they can abstain from their addictive food triggers long enough and get the education information about addiction or emotional overeating at the same time and allow their taste buds to change and their dopamine insensitivity and you know their addiction driver to normalize so I knew that this would be helpful for people, and so the fact that and I and because I, I was always a, t- a group of individuals who I I couldn't reach, who you know a lot of people can get well from reading my books and watching the videos and hearing me and speaking online and all this stuff, but so many people just they have negative social environments, their addictions are, are powerful, have the support systems at home, they don't have the ability, attention to put there, to learn enough, whatever it is, I knew that I could help more people if I had a place like this where I could house people, like a, like a drug addiction place with cocaine, where people come for a few months and people come here who are overweight, food addicts, or who are not, who have medical conditions, who need, who get my personal care and guidance to gradually wean them off their drugs and get them well again or, if, or get them so they leave here, not just in better condition. But with the skills they now and the food preferences and the tech and the with their obstacles solved so they know they can do this at home and continue to do this at home. Like the goal here, like, for example, Nicole came here and she while she was here for six weeks. She lost about 50 pounds, believe it or not. But she was because she was about you know she was super heavy, like close to 400 pounds. But she went home, and she lost another hundred and fifty pounds over that next, you know, fifteen months or thirteen months after she left. In other words, she went, She learned what to do, so she could continue the process when she go home. And she says, "I wouldn't think of doing anything else or living any other way. This way works. It tastes great. It's the way I prefer to eat at this point." And, I'm, and only I could have never done it had I not come to the retreat and stayed there and seen how pleasurable this can be. And of course I'm real proud of the great chefs we have here that they make food taste so great, the healthy food tastes so great. And of course, this is a wonderful place to heal and get well and I always thought I'd enjoy doing this, type of, doing this extra type of care so I can even have some, you know, a, a skilled facility like this where people can um, get the extra help they need and get the a place of, of safety. Because everywhere you look, people are trying to put french fries and donuts and, and spare ribs and hot dogs in your face. And for a person that's a food addict, they just can't do it, you know?
1: Well, it's an immersive experience and you can even see the organic garden. You can see the dreams been realized with what you've created there. You guys are actually growing your own food right there, aren't you?
0: Oh, it's so cool because, you know, people don't realize that it's not just the food, but you have to put good soil down, you know, and you have to, you know, so growing the own food where I can control the soil means that you, it's, it's better than organic it's like super, it's nutrient rich organic. And, you know, so even I'm not even using, you know, commercial manures from commercially fed cows, which can put more chemicals into the organic fertilizers, you know, so we, so yeah, this is, it's just incredibly, um, powerful experience giving you connectivity with nature here. We have natural soils with compost and, and biochar and earthworm castings and bat guano in there, you know, so it's a, incredible soils and the, and the ability of the climate here to grow so much fruits and vegetables. And, and so it really is a, a blessing here to, I'm very lucky to have um, the opportunity to do this here.
1: Well, what is the experience? So somebody comes there, we check in, what can we expect on a typical visit to the retreat?
0: Well, um, most people, you know, go into a private room and they overlook, say, their own usually sliding glass doors that open out into the room, and have their own bath. So it's a beautiful, a beautiful place. And there's a, Beautiful um, a saltwater pool and a sand volleyball called the people X's on the sand and there's beautiful hiking and biking and when, you know we was surrounded in an area of the country where you can look at a 200 acre um, park with hiking trails and creeks and a lake and so it's just the most beautiful place to be. Um, and they're getting, you know, counseling on food addiction and food eating. They're getting my particular lectures and my guidance on the medications. They have a nurse on premise. You know, they're working with a nurse to reduce their medications to advise me it's the appropriate time to cut back to get them off the medication gradually. And, and so we have the the chefs who do cooking classes and we have the, so they're having, you know, some exercise classes, some lectures, some group and learning and some and some fun and, and the opportunity to be here in an environment where you can. Um, be outdoors and be in the beautiful, you know, have good weather all year round here in San Diego. So it's a really, um, you know, I was going to do it in New Jersey or, but then it's just so much better out here to do do something like this in California, Southern California.
1: Yeah, we love having you out here. So with this body of work and this movement you've created and all these achievements, what would you say, what was the biggest transformation that happened personally Maybe something you didn't expect. What would you say was the biggest
0: transformation in all this work you've done? Well, the biggest transformation was at some point in my career, making a decision to stop seeing patients 80 hours a week and taking all those insurance companies, but to, and to move my practice to a, um and see less people and start to spend more time developing an internet practice and so I can can get the information and answer people's questions over the internet. So what I think the biggest was the biggest decision was being able to actually um, see less people one-on-one where I'm limited to repeat, you know, for an hour, an hour and a half to repeat the same information and to start spending more of my time writing and speaking and being interviewed like this and working on an internet connectivity where people can ask me questions through the website. And I could advise them through articles and and position papers and lectures over the internet so I can reach a larger number of people using media, as opposed to just repeating the same message and convincing people one-on-one. I'm able to speak to people in groups and able to get the message out to a larger audience. So it was getting that message out to a larger audience. And don't forget, when I did that, when I stopped Rode to Live, for example, and started touring around the country and stopped seeing patients so I could tour around the country and then speak and lecture... It was a very difficult time because there was no income coming. It was losing the income from the medical practice, and certainly *Into Live* A2Live did not become a bestseller until years, to af- years and years after that. So it was again, you know, so so it was making that decision in spite of the financial difficulty. And you know, at that point we were concerned about losing our house, and we would say, you know, we'll just get a small apartment, and we'll sell the house, or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, but it was just going ahead and making that leap to try to um, pr- promote the, my work. And not spend my whole wake every waking hours seeing patients. And I think that was a major decision that was difficult at first, but eventually obviously paid off.
1: And your advice to those that, you know, want to lead, you know, get this message out. We have our certification program, but in our program, we recommend your Nutritarian certification. So any of our certified juice therapists out there, make sure to watch that video with Dr. Furman so you can get certified as a Nutritarian, bring that into your practice. What's your advice for those that really want to ignite their own movement
0: and get this message out there all over the world? My advice is first, be a role model of example of great health yourself. You got to walk the walk and we'll talk the talk. And then second, Don't care if you're speaking to five people or 25 people or 25,000 people, but get people together and share with them what you've accomplished and what you've learned. What we say is put on your oxygen mask first and then go out there and reach other people with your superpowers. And when I talked about all these people who've made recoveries from serious illnesses around the country, that's how you succeed. You develop your few people that you've helped that made recoveries. And then they help you get the message out with those successes, which you can use to help promote yourself and your ability to reach other people. So it's, you know, it's in medical school, they say, um, you know, see one, do one, teach one. In other words, you you know, we were trying to teach people in this way. It's like take care of yourself first and then help another person take care of themselves. And they will then help you be able to get your message out to spread to more people and get that message out and it doesn't matter. It's not wasting your time to speak to a small number of people because you don't need a large number of people. You just need a small number of people who got, who got great success so that you can be a success.
1: Great advice, the website, drferman.com. Lots of recipes up there and you can find all his books too. Dr. Furman, it's been great. I've, I've been really wanting to learn more about you and your career in this way. Thank you for sharing. I haven't heard an interview like this, so thank you for being here.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Of course, best of health and much success to all people that are listening, and keep safe.
1: Dr. Joel Furman, right here on Juicingpreneur Radio. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio for Entrepreneurs. Visit JuiceGuru.com to learn more and start building
0: your health empire today.